welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, today um, I got a sermon title and I got a subtitle because I like those a lot for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but the sermon that today is, is discovering a God who longs to comfort me. And the subtitle is, and he will stop at nothing to do so. And I'm speaking today from Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is probably, if I really think about it, one of the most famous pieces of poetry, maybe in history, like for sure, one of the most famous pieces of poetry in the Bible. It's a beautiful, beautiful poem, you know, uh, written by uh, King David. And growing up, you know, I grew up uh, in the church, you know, I grew up listening to Bible stories and all that stuff, going to Sunday school all the time. Um, And so I knew a lot about King David. And every time I heard about Psalm 23, I always thought about, you know, imagine King David uh, when he's a little boy, because when he's a boy, he was a shepherd. And Psalm 23 is uses the shepherd analogy metaphor uh, a lot. And so I've always assumed that Psalm 23 was written by David when he was a shepherd, you know, sitting up in the green fields, watching the sheep below. And as I've been digging into Psalm 23, though, I realize that's actually very likely not the case. Um, a lot of Old Testament scholars believe that this was written later on in David's life. And in fact, a significant number believe that this was actually written during a period of time that's uh, actually chronicled in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 15, you'll find that that is a time when David's son, his old, uh, son Absalom, um, actually led a revolt against his father and managed to take over Jerusalem, the capital city. And so Psalm 23, this beautiful piece of poetry (laughs) is actually like written in the midst of a time just riddled with rejection uh, for David, riddled with abandonment, riddled with threat, uh, betrayal, like all of like the heaviest, most difficult emotions that a person can experience. Psalm 23 was born out of that time. Uh, there's one commentator I found, he, he read that, uh, I, just, I just love how he says this. In this psalm, there is a tone of quiet, subdued confidence, which speaks to a heart mellowed by the years, a faith made sober through many a trial. A young man could not write so calmly, and a life that was just opening could not afford material for such a record of God's guardianship in all circumstances of life. Whoever wrote Psalm 23 had a firsthand raw experience with a broken, dangerous world. And more importantly than that, they'd also tasted the wonder of God's sufficiency in the very midst of that fallen world. And they, I try to put myself in David's shoes. Like, I can't imagine. Like, I've got two boys, Bronte and Thorne. Uh, there's two little guys. And like, oh boy, the feeling of them giving me a big hug or wrestling with me or or punching me or just, you know, the things that little boys do, like, I just, I just love that. And the thought of one of my sons trying to kill me, like, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine it. And like, what kind of questions pile through your mind? You know, like, what's like, God, what's going on? Like, why is this happening? Like, why now? Like, 
I know for sure you're familiar with those kind of haunting questions that kind of like seem to just interrupt our minds when, when things feel like they're at their worst. And the thing is in the midst of the crisis, it is so, so incredibly easy for us to, to keep our eyes focused on the medical emergency, the financial breakdown, the relational tension. It's so easy for us to keep our for our eyes to be looking at those things. But Psalm 23, which was really kind of written in the midst of a perfect storm is all about where do we keep our focus? Um, it's, it, there's so much wonderful things to unpack here. And so we're going to jump in. We're going to kind of go verse by verse, just through the whole thing. Um, starting with verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, you know, David could have started a psalm like, oh, Absalom, Absalom, why are you attacking me? Like he could have done that. But in the midst of crisis, he looked to God. The Lord is my shepherd. The other interesting thing here is the word Lord. Um, the, the, the word actually in Hebrew is Yahweh. Um, and that is, you know, the name that God gave to Moses or the the way that God introduced himself to Moses. It means I am that I am. And it's kind of like the name above all names. And the reason that name above all names is interesting as well is because God actually gave a bunch of different names to his kids, to the Israelites as ways to kind of introduce himself to them. So for example, you, you may have heard some of these names before El Shaddai is one that means mighty um, uh, Rafa. That means healer, you know, Jaira, Jehovah Jaira. Uh, is the provider that God was wanting to, to tell his kids, these are different things that you can look to me for. And, and, uh, and David chooses to use the word Yahweh here, the name above all names. And what God is, David is saying is he's recognizing God, you are inexhaustible. You are complete. You need nothing. Um, and it's, it's interesting because like there's a couple places in the new Testament as well, where uh, Paul and, uh, and John as well, they say, you know, Christ is all, uh, and is in all. And that's in Colossians 1. Um, John 5, 26, the father has life unto himself. Again, what, what is being hammered home here is that God in and of himself is completely self-sufficient. He needs absolutely nothing. And now why is that important? Like, why is that something to kind of to pay attention to? Well, David is kind of underlining and reminding himself that there's like a completely one way dependency in the relationship between him and God. God needs absolutely nothing from David. David needs everything from God. God is like the shepherd who needs absolutely nothing from his sheep. But why is that important? Why is that something special? Why is that worth spending time thinking about? Because God doesn't need me to be his servant. God doesn't need me to do things for him. I'm his kid. And that's why I can go vertical to him. That's what David is saying. He's saying, God, you are the one. You are my shepherd. And in the midst of the most troubling time in my life, it's like you are completely and totally able to shepherd me. You are more than sufficient to care for me, to lead me, to protect me. And when God is leading me and uh, it comes to a place where he wants us to realize a few different really important things. Number one, we belong to him. We are his sheep. Number two, he is a mighty and benevolent owner. Number three, we are fully dependent on God's sufficiency. And when those three truths are active in our life, what is the inevitable result? Well, that's the second half of verse one. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. When I'm looking to the Lord as my shepherd, I shall not want. 
One of the sources that I really love, I, I plunder this guy's material all the time. His name's Ray Stedman. And he has this really interesting, uh, some really interesting thoughts on, on this specific verse. I have to be honest, <laughs> I didn't like them when I first heard them. I think they're true. I still kind of wrestle with it a little bit. I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase for everything. But he basically says, there are really, there are only two options in life. Either I'm looking to the Lord as my shepherd, and therefore I shall not want, or I find myself in want. And in that case, I'm not looking to the Lord as my shepherd. If I'm experiencing loneliness or despair or emptiness, then it's obvious I'm not looking to the Lord as my shepherd. Now, I'm going to clarify that in a little bit, because that doesn't mean that we're never going to have those feelings. It doesn't mean those things at all. Um, but, so I'll get into that a little bit. But essentially, it's when we allow someone or something else to shepherd us, we're not going to be satisfied by those things. You know, if your job, if your career is, is, is shepherding you, you're going to experience restlessness. You're, you're going to experience feverish activity or frustration. You know, if, if your education is your shepherd and learning is your shepherd, well, you're going to find yourself feeling constantly disillusioned. When somebody else, if a person is your shepherd, if a person is kind of guiding your life, you're going to find yourself let down. At the end of the day, if I'm looking to anything else other than God, my soul will be in a perpetual place of want. Only when the Lord is my shepherd will I not want, because God has promised to supply all of my needs. Now, what are those needs? Well, if David is going to say, I shall not want in verse one, well, he's going to go on into, into the next verses and to kind of talk about what are the things that he does want. Verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. So let's kind of take that, you know, uh, line by line here. He makes me lie down in green, green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Boy, <laughs> I need to be made to rest. We, my family and I went uh, on a uh, vacation up to Point Clark's between Goderich and King Garden. And is a seven day, seven day vacation. And I couldn't actually really relax or rest until like day five. It took like four or five days. Work has been nuts. Uh, it's been a lot of challenge. There's been like some business crisis that have hit. And boy, it is so, so hard to rest in, in the midst of that. You know, when a business crisis hits, when finances look bad, when a health scare erupts in my life. There's nothing inside of me that wants to lie down and rest. Everything wants to just grab that bull by the horns, wrestle it to the ground, fix things. But I need to be made to rest. God wants to make me rest. And honestly, he's been so good to me in my life. Like there have been like I can think of times where God has literally saved my life. There have been times when like just like a financial crisis hits and it's resolved in like an amazing unplannable way. Like God has done so many good things for me in my life. And still like the, this thought appears when I'm faced with a crisis. Now the thought is still there. Well, all that was yesterday. What about today? Is God going to be good for me today? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus is talking to his followers and he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The, the Greek word there is uh, anapauso, and it means I will rest you. I will vacation you. It's, it's an act. Of, it's, a, it's, a, it's an action. It's like I will force you to, to, to relax. 
And that's what God is going to do. He makes me lie down in green pastures. One of the other really interesting things uh, is I've learned more about sheep in some of this study than I've known before. And apparently sheep hate to lie down if the conditions aren't like just right. Like if they're too hot or if there's flies or if they're hungry, they don't want to lie down. And I, that's interesting to know. Um, but it's also like it has some like really uncomfortable parallels because for me, I am a much easier time resting when everything's been sorted out for me, when everything's been fixed. Like uh, I, I have a much easier time just rela- relaxing. But honestly, like that's like life. Life is has a lot of tumult. Like life is a lot of turmoil. And in the midst of that. I am confronted again and again and again with my own inadequacy. And Jesus wants to make me lie down in green pastures through my faith in him. If I choose to relax into him, I can encounter and I can experience his provision and the ability to actually rest in the midst of whatever's going on. You know, you know whatever, all, all the buzzing around me, all the buzzing in my mind, God says, Josh, just rest. Trust me, I've got this. I'm like, okay, I hear you're saying those words. It really doesn't feel like I can rest, though. It's like, no, lie down. I've got it. Go to sleep. You know, you believe in me, you will never hunger, never thirst. Oh, it feels so good to hear that. But it's, it, it's an act of will. It's a choice to relax into that and to allow God to, to make me rest. The next... Next, uh, next line here. He leads me beside quiet waters. You know, the, in the original Hebrew, there's like a gentleness that kind of comes along with the word lead. He leads me gently. Um, God will never force himself on you. Uh, he'll never violate your will. Like he'll gently shape it. Um, but the other thing with sheep is you can't really drive sheep. You have to lead them. And God is, he's leading us. I mean, personally, uh, you may be surprised to hear this, but if I feel like I'm being forced into something, boy, I dig my heels into the ground and I just, my resistance kicks in and I just don't want to go there. God leads me. He leads us gently. Verse three, he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, I kind of wish David started this out with he restores my body. <laughs> that would be really great. Um, body shame has been an issue for me for almost as long as I can remember. And on any given day, I can probably give you like a few different bullet points of like weird sensations or pains or cramps that don't really make sense. And it's easy for me in my brain to like to spiral out and to start getting freaked out about what if I'm really sick? What if this bad things happens? Like I, I get really nervous about that. Um, <laughs> there's like, yeah, weird pain twinges things in my body that happens. But like uh, David says here, God, he, God restores my soul. Now I kind of wonder why, why that distinction, you know, and if you, if you, this is kind of like a whole other uh, long rabbit trail that I don't really want to get into today, but Really, as humans, there's like we're tr- there are kind of like tr- three functions uh, as humans. There's you know there's body, 
our soul and our spirit. And there can be, there's oftentimes some confusion between soul and spirit a little bit. Um, there's a couple places in scripture that kind of talk about that distinction. I think first, uh, first Thessalonians five is one Hebrews four is another place you want to dig into that. Um, but essentially, you know, as believers, we have a spirit and that spirit allows us to connect to God. And when we put our faith in Jesus, that spirit becomes sealed, uh, sealed with Christ. And the enemy can't get at your spirit. You know, your spirit, you're always right, always holy, always loved, always accepted. The problem is, though, is that we live in a fallen world. And it's a world that's under a curse. And it's the curse of sin. Um, and as a result, you and I, as we go through the world, we experience things that we weren't really meant to experience. Uh, if you think about the creation, like God designed Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, he designed them to live in Eden. Like he designed them for paradise. And then the world broke around them. And suddenly all these things are coming at us, you know? And so where I have a spirit that connects with God, my soul, and like in, in, the, in the Greek, uh, the word that's um, translated as soul is suke. Uh, which is where the word psychology comes from and soul kind of refers to your personality. You know, it's like that kind of the blend your mind and your will and your emotions. And that's what David is kind of zooming in on here is like, God restores my soul. Um, as all these things are coming at me, as death is coming at me from a multitude of different directions, you know, um, is coming at me from the outside. God within me from within my spirit, life, is feeding me life and that's coming out to meet and to overwhelm the death that's coming at me. And that happens in the space of my soul. Um, and there's turmoil that comes, you know, we live in a fallen world. I'm trying to think what David going through is like, I live in a, he's like, my son is, my own son is trying to come, is coming after me. Death is coming at me. It's attacking me from the outside, you know, but through my spirit, life comes. And it's restoring, it's restoring my soul. You know, when I'm, when, as I'm, as I'm mired down, um, my mind, it wanders away. <laughs> it wanders away from the shepherd, um, goes down paths it shouldn't go. You know, it again, focusing on like bank accounts that aren't quite big enough for me. Um, bills that might be overdue, like sagging, sagging business, maybe. I mean, you fill in the blanks, like all this stuff going on, whether it's in culture, or what's in my personal life, what's in the world at large, like all this stuff coming at me and coming at me. And what happens is my emotions get triggered and there's fear, hurt, envy, sorrow, shame, all that stuff begins to spike within my emotions. Um, and what ends up happening is in the place where when I'm like being pounded by these difficult emotions, my, my will, my, my decider, my, what I use to make choices, like that all gets influenced. I began to make decisions out of that. That's kind of like when they say soul, it's like, it's all that stuff in there. It's like your mind, uh, your will, your emotions. Like if you're believing lies in your, in your mind, uh, that leads to difficult, heavy, painful emotions. And when you've got those, it's very hard to make good decisions. And that's what God restores my soul. He restores my soul. He comes in and he brings peace and he brings life. As we look to him, I keep my eyes on the shepherd. He restores my soul is actually promised. That's actually echoed actually in second Corinthians four, verse eight. Uh, Paul talks, you know, we're pressed, but we're not crushed. We're, pers we're per uh, persecuted. But we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. All those 
difficult things happen. Yes, they do. However, that's not the end of the story. The one who raised Christ from the dead, he is actively active in our life, and he's going to raise us around as well. The next line, he guides me in paths of righteousness. Um, the the train, literal translation of this is, is the well-worn paths, you know, um, the right path. And if you're like lost in the forest and then you see a path that you can see people have used, well, that's a good, that's good news. You can follow that path and you know, it's going to take, it's going to take you somewhere where you're able to get help. Your father takes me down paths that are proven, walked by others and the right path. Now, I'll also say this as a side tangent, there are many paths in life and there are many paths that other people take and there are many paths that look right as well. But at the end of the day, for me and for you, the right path is the path that father leads us down. My right path and someone else's right path, they may not look the same. And if you're following another person, then they become your shepherd. Follow father down the path that he has for you. Um, I like to choose my own path from time to time. You may be uh, surprised to hear that. Um, but at the end of the result of that always is I run into my own inadequacy so, so quickly, uh, run into the end of myself. So, so, so quickly. Um, and I realize I don't have what it takes on my own. And I even hate the sound of those words coming out of my mouth, but it's true on my own. I'm not enough. With Christ in me, as I'm following the shepherd, I, Christ in me is enough. Christ in me is enough. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Boy, <laughs> ah, why do the well-worn paths so often lead right down the middle of the valley of the shadow of death? Man, <laughs> that sucks. I wish it didn't. I wish that wasn't the case. Well, here's the thing, though, if you read this whole verse, you know, I fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This verse isn't actually about death. It's about experiences that kind of point to death. You know, David being rejected by his son, David losing his kingdom, you know, David feeling alone and helpless, uh, David being rejected by by the citizens. I mean, nobody was like rising up to fight against Absalom. They were, yeah, David should get out of here. Like they were on, they were on board with this change. How have you been rejected? What are you losing? What have you lost? Now, who, who isn't supporting you that you were kind of counting on? How alone, how helpless do you feel? This verse, this verse is for you. And in this verse, your shepherd is leading you right in through the middle of the shadows but he's leading you towards home and he's leading you towards safety for the night. You don't have to be alone. I fear no evil. Now there's a shift here that happens. You know, the first, the, the verses we've been talking about so far, it's all been talking about the shepherd. You know, these are the things the shepherd does for me. Verse four, we see a shift and David begins to address the shepherd directly. The matter, fact of the matter is, in the valley of the shadow of death, just talking about the shepherd doesn't cut it. You know, when you're surrounded by threats, when everywhere you look is darkness, when there's like shifting shadows in your peripheral vision, just talking about the shepherd does not cut it. It's time to talk to the shepherd. It's time to talk to the shepherd. 
you know, <laughs> yeah. And then Craig says, I need to talk to God. I need to have, I need to have God, you know, in the Valley, just doctrine. It isn't enough anymore. I need power. I need power that comes from a person and Jesus, you know, moving forward through the Valley of the shadow of death. That's all about intimacy. So what's, what's scaring you today? What's causing the experience of death in your life today? Are you losing a child? Is your job in danger? Does a pandemic have you afraid? Do cultural shifts, does that have you freaking out? Is the enemy beating you up with concerns about your health? He likes to do that to me a lot. Are you afraid for your marriage? The valley of the shadow of death is dark and it's scary. Um, and the thing is, it's, it's, they're not fake either. Like, it's not just shadows. There are predators out there. Like, there is danger out there. Like what you're facing, it all isn't always like a mirage or an illusion. No, <laughs> regardless of that, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, the shepherd. He offers me his strength in exchange for my weakness, his boldness, his bravery, his courage in, a, in, in, in exchange for my cowardice, in exchange for my timidity. His light, his light for my dark eyes. How would my life, I, I was thinking about this, like how would my life change if I started praying a prayer every morning said, God, I'm not up for the demands of today, but you are. I believe in you, Father, but will you help my unbelief? Because when I look at that big world, it's, it seems too much. The more I look at the world, I see less and less of you. But today I choose to look vertical and take my eyes off of the horizontal. Like if that was how I started every day, like how much would my life change? I should, I should do that. Now, that doesn't mean I don't experience fear. It doesn't mean I don't experience all of those things, all those, those difficult, heavy emotions. What it does mean, though, is that I no longer let fear control me. I no longer let all of those difficult, heavy emotions control my choices. I might feel alone, but the truth is the shepherd is always with me. I'm never alone. I might feel unloved, but the truth is that the shepherd is protecting me because he loves me. I might feel rejected, but I'm not rejected. The shepherd will take off into the night to take chase that the one lost lamb. Like I'm never rejected a hundred percent of the time, regardless of how I feel, Regardless of the messages I'm getting from the world, regardless of what I think other people are thinking about me, I am fully loved, fully accepted, fully significant. And my source comes from within, comes from Christ in me. The next line, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The interesting thing is I was kind of digging into the root words here. The word for rod, it literally means rod, unless like, like stick, long stick, unless it's actually in a shepherd context. In the context of, if you're talking about shepherd, the actual word is supposed to be translated a shepherd's club. And I think about a shepherd's club. Like I see someone standing there, like the big, long, heavy club with like a spike or two coming out at the end. That's not like the most comforting you know, image, unless it's like my big brother holding the club, looking at an enemy. That's very comforting because the guy on my side has a bigger weapon than the guy on that side. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Like this club, the shepherd's club, his rod, 
it comforts me because it's not for me. It's for the enemies. It's for the attacking. It's for the predators in the dark. Like that's what that club is for. The club is used by my shepherd to protect me. You know, your rod and your staff, that staff, you know, the, the shepherd's crook, like that's what it literally refers to. You know, as I start kind of like wandering down the wrong path, that shepherd just reaches the crook out and is just is able to gently turn my head and bring me back onto that path. I can take comfort knowing that father is using his shepherd's club to defend me from dangers I see and from dangers I don't see and is using that shepherd's crook to just to gently correct my to gently correct my wanderings and bringing me back onto that path. I can trust him to correct my mistakes and to keep me on that right path. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. You know, that first half of that verse about preparing a table in the presence of my enemies, I would much prefer that that read, you beat my enemies and then we have a feast together. But that's not what he's saying. In the presence of my enemies, you're, he, he, he prepares a table. And what, what I, I know what that, 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 the prepare a table, what that phrase, like the, the, the visual implication of, of that, those root words is that there's a table being set, like a feast being laid out with like the fine china and the silver plates and the beautiful crystal goblets and, and like the, the, the steaming piles of food with like the, those, like, you know, what are those things called? They're like, you put the, the lid over the food and you take it off. It's like, oh, it was a beautiful feast being laid out right in the presence of enemies. And I think about that, like, what is God saying to the enemy? Like, it's like, how little regard does God have? How much, like the enemies, the enemies there and God saying, you think you've got Josh? You think you've got him? You don't got him. I got him. I've got him so much. I'm going to lay out a spread for him. And you can't do a thing about it. Like that is the level of power and control that God has in my life. Um, and he prepares that table for me, that place where my soul is restored. He does that for me in the very presence of my enemies, thumbing his nose, thumbing his nose at the enemy. He's, he's taunting them. He's taunting the enemy by providing for me in the very midst of that. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You know, you know, we're, we're not really in the right cultural context to really grasp like the real refresh refreshed meaning that's in this, this one verse here. Um, but in the, the, in the ancient East temperatures, daily temperatures were very often high thirties into the forties. You know, it was arid. It was dry. Um, you, your skin, if you're walking, your skin gets dry and thin and parched. Uh, your throat, your mouth just gets so like full of sand and like traveling in that context was just a horrible sort of like a hostile experience. And as you, you know, let's say you're welcoming people into your home or into your, your land, then custom demanded that you provide cool wine to refresh the person's mouth and provide like a, a special oils for the person, like moisturizing oils from them to put on their skin. And that's what this is referring to. You know, as you and I are, as we're enduring the ravages of travel through this world, through this, this hostile environment, a, a world that's cursed by sin, God is promising to provide that moisturizing, that cool, refreshing experience that we desperately need 
balm for your broken skin, you know, more than enough cool wine for, for your parched throat. God is promising to soothe the ravages of your travel through this fallen world. Just such a beautiful, beautiful imagery. Surely goodness and mercy, sorry, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Let's just stop there and kind of dig into that. You know, goodness and loving kindness is often translated mercy as well. You know, um, one of the one of the guys is like a bit of mentor in my life, and I, I I've learned so so much. His name is Frank Friedman. I highly recommend you. He's a, his website is ourresolutehope.com, um, and he actually he actually has some resources about Psalm 23 that I've actually relied on relied on a lot for this talk. Um, one of the things he talks about is like is is you know goodness and mercy is kind of like imagine you know every sh- a shepherd has a shepherd dog right and the shepherd dog's name the shepherd dog's name is goodness and mercy and that that goodness and mercy kind of keeps the herd together you know it might a sheep might kind of go to take off and that in goodness and mercy that dog runs right around me maybe nips the heels a little bit and kind of herds the sheep back in with the safety of the rest of the group um goodness and mercy are, are following me the other thing here that i kind of ran into that I was sort of surprised that but like the word follow like if you Go to um, the interlinear Bible. So just Google interlinear Bible and it will show you like for whatever passage of scripture you want, like the original, the original language. So you can go and do this yourself. The word for follow, it's redaf, And it literally means it, it means to pursue, to chase. You know, there's a sense of like I'm hunting something down. I've got intent. I'm going to catch that thing. Follow is not the right word. Like, I don't understand why the word follow is used here instead of like pursue. Um, Like. Pursue is such a better word. Like if the shepherd dog is after me, goodness and and mercy, goodness and loving kindness, like he's after the, the intent of catching me. God's goodness and his kindness are on the hunt for me. I just love that. I love it so much. They're all the days of my life, you know? Um, and the other interesting thing here is that, you know, the word surely, if you go and look at that as well, um, the, that, the root word is ak, just AK. And the, the most common usage, like the most common usage for that is to use it for only. Only goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. Imagine King David, you know, he's old, he's, he's getting towards the end of his reign and he's in the midst, maybe it's like some, some hidden camp out in the wilderness, just praying that, you know, Absalom's scouts don't find them. And he's sitting in the dark, you know, writing out this, this piece of poetry. Imagine looking back on his whole life and what is the conclusion he comes to? Only goodness and love and kindness pursued me all the days of my life. You know, he looks back on his life. He looks back on, on his struggles. He looks back on the mistakes that he made. He murdered a person. Like he's, he slept with another man's wife. Like David screwed up bad a lot of times and he's going and he's looking back on that time. And what is his, what is his summary? What is his declaration? Only goodness and mercy really pursued me. Those are the threads that I see winding back through all of my life experiences. You know, 
To me, that sounds like Romans 8.28. You know, it's the Old Testament, Old Covenant version of Romans 8.28, which says, All things work together for the good of those who love God. Like, we're seeing that in David's life as well. I believe that when we're in eternity, we're going to look back and we're going to see our life in stunning clarity. And all those big questions like, God, why did this happen? Like, this, this problem, this suffering... It seemed to be a waste. Like, I didn't see any use for that. Like, all those questions are just going to melt away as we look back on our life. And we're going to see goodness and mercy pursuing us all the way through. And that was like heavy questions are just going to be replaced by like an overwhelming sense of love, an overwhelming sense of, of, of thankfulness and gratefulness to God because we'll finally understand. The last phrase, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, that sounds wonderful. And it, it's easy to catch the problem with this verse. And again, because we're not really in the context, the cultural context of that. Any Old Testament scholar will say that King David, like what he writes here is borderline heretical. You know, a king was allowed to visit the temple or the tabernacle. He's allowed to visit there for worship and often like, you know, the sacrificing a lamb, but then he had to leave. A king was not allowed to be a priest. I think there's a story in the old Testament of, of a king who tried to make himself a priest and God killed him. Um, a king was not allowed to be a priest. King did not live in the house of the Lord. Like that was a, that was a terror. Like that was a horrible thing to think about. However, what this is showing us is as David is wrapping up this beautiful, epic piece of poetry, he's seeing his relationship with God through new covenant eyes. You know, in the old covenant, the sheep was sacrificed, the sins of the shepherd. In the new covenant, it's the other way around. The shepherd sacrificed for the sheep. And the result is father dwells in us now permanently. We are the house of the Lord. He dwells with us forever. We, we are the house of the Lord and he has come to live in us forever. Like that's, that's the reality, you know, like to me, that's such an incredible and such a beautiful thought. And um, there's a couple other verses actually from revelations that I think kind of like just put the beautiful finishing touch on this. So revelation seven, verse 17, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelations 21 verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying and no more pain for all those things have passed away. We will dwell with Lord forever. Let me pray. Boy, Father, what a beautiful message that you have for us in Psalm 23. It's just marvelous. But I want us to respond to this as well. You know, this isn't the story is not just David's story. This is my story. This is our story. All of us, we all have Absaloms in our life. God, we just want to take control of the situations. We want to fix them ourselves. But God, you want to make us, I need to be made to lie down 
And so you can restore me, restore my soul from the inside out. Because God's death is coming at me in this world. I just need life coming in from within. And Father, as each one of us is walking through our valley of the shadow of death, God, we take comfort from the fact that you've promised to guide us through that valley. You have promised to protect us through that valley and to provide a feast, a victory feast in the middle of the valley, right under the nose of our enemies. Thank you, God, for, for anointing us, for refreshing us as we travel, you know, healing us as we travel through the ravages of this world. And God, boy, I look forward to the day when, when I got to live in your house. And I thank that you are living in me. It's beautiful. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.